0: Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D H A R M A Media.com. Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of Conversations with Z and Vin. And we're joined by special guest Mariana Newsom, who is a child development specialist. Mariana, we're super excited to have you on. We've been talking a bit offline about brain development. And this is an area that I think is extremely interesting because a lot of the work you do is with children. And as we've been talking, the way that kids develop, the biggest impediment to that is often the parents. And this is something that Z and I have talked about, maybe not in the exact same context, but when we look at just the insanity that goes on today with the anxiety parents transfer to their kids, the expectations that you've got to get into the right school, looking at your kid and saying, okay, my child can walk at 11 months, uh, but my other child can't walk till 12 and a half months. What's going on? Or my child isn't reading at the highest group level within their first grade class, so do I need to get them special counseling? And by the way, even if I don't think I need to, it's a nuclear arms race because every other parent in the class is hiring tutors on the weekend to make sure that their kids are performing at some top level, at least defined by whatever everyone else is doing. And then this just snowballs, and the effect continues – And for some kids, maybe it's fine. For others, it can lead to a tremendous amount of stress. And in my case, what I've seen, and we've talked about this before, Z, is when you go through this kind of a system, and maybe it's a combination of the educational system as well as parental pressure, you start to measure yourself based on achievement. And you take a very narrow, very limited view of your own abilities, your own potential, number one. So you fail to see bigger picture other opportunities aside from what everyone else is doing. And I think, in more of a damaging sense, you lose the ability to trust yourself and you become insecure and you measure your self worth based on whether you can hit these very specific markers that someone else is defining for you that may or may not have any relevance. So, this is an issue that I've seen. I'm a parent and I've got kids who've gone through the school process. I've seen the anxiety that it creates. I'm part of. This insanity, even if I don't agree with it, I'm part of this system. And that's why, Mariana, I'm really interested to get your perspective because you work with this sort of thing every day. So maybe you can start out just by talking a bit about yourself, your relationship with Dharma, and what you do professionally.
1: Well, I'm a therapist by background, and I've been practicing for 20 years working with people. And I and I actually worked in, did a lot of work with the brain in rehabilitating movement through stroke and brain injury. And so I got a, I got an appreciation of the brain and to of the individual and what happens to them after they develop what we would consider symmetrically. And then they lose function and they go through a grief process and uh, acceptance process of what is happening And begin on the road to restoring their movement and their life. A few years back, I moved on to beginning to work with children. And uh, this started to open my eyes to a whole new world. Because children uh, from the beginning, I believe, are fueled by movement. However, their perception of the world is immediately shaped by their parents and immediately what sounds they begin to hear in the background, what faces people begin to give them, how they are touched, how they move in their home. And this, everything is shaped around their development going towards a way of trying to remain in homeostasis and calm so that they can move forward. This is what I've started to learn through working with kids because most of the children that come to see me are uh, come to see me because the parents have them in school and they are getting in trouble and they are what we would call a behavior problem. And uh, oftentimes I talk with the parents, we find out that the child has trouble in areas such as sitting still but also usually lashing out at others. And um, I find this really interesting because as I begin to interview the family and find out what the child's environment is like, I start to see how they've had a high degree of pressure on them to perform and to interact with their peers and attend the perfect school and attend the perfect classes And for that particular child, that model doesn't work. And so they begin showing behavioral problems and lashing out. I believe that they're lashing out because of the stress and frustration placed on them. But I also believe that times during their performance and development, they're being judged by their parents. And they feel that, and that judgment starts to transfer over to others. It's pretty...
2: Mm.
1: So, now what I do is I begin to work with children that come to me. I, in particular, specialize in movement. But I believe that the, the psychology, the understanding of the parents, how the parent actually understands and connects with their child on a daily basis, and realizes that they come into the world with a huge amount of memory in their system that they're transferring on to their children. And if they don't understand their child as an individual, which may not be their ideal child, that they will have a negative effect on their child.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Maybe you could say more about that psychology aspect, because I think you're right. Every parent has certain expectations, whether we're aware of it or not. We want our children to succeed, and maybe we can't even define what that is. We just know that we want good things for them. We want them to stand out. In some cases, we just want to save them from pain. So we don't want them to go through any hardship, any suffering, and that might inhibit self-discovery. But talk a bit about that psychology. What are some of the things that you've seen parents bring to the table uh, that maybe we're not even aware of, but that can be damaging for the kids?
1: Yeah. um, Well, I think there's a lot of parents that become parents and don't even understand what their upbringing, how their upbringing, or how their parents have affected their values and how their parents have even affected the way they handle situations. Um, Give
2: us an example.
1: An example, uh, I have a child who is extremely disorganized and uncoordinated at this time and unable to, uh, he's five years old. And he's unable to sit for any length of time. And uh,
2: That sounds like Caitlin.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it could be. (laughs) But I have a child like this. And the the father, he was disciplined in the manner of sit down right now or you're going to get it. Mm -hmm. And the mother was disciplined in the way of let's make a deal. If you do this now, you'll get something later. Mm -hmm. Uh, This child is not able at this time to handle the sit down now or you'll get it. And when he gets that type of feedback to his system, he immediately loses control and can't regather himself for 30 minutes mm. because of his level of disorganization. However, if the mother gives gives the child... The upbringing and the way she was brought up is, I'll make you a deal. If you do this now, Mm I give you something later. She's enabling the child as well and causing problems with his development because the child now has trouble with in school when he has to get something done or when someone says no. Mm -hmm. He believes that no doesn't mean no anymore. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, That sounds like uh, college life. Describing college, let's go for it.
1: <laughs> sure, but uh, the so Vin talking about the psychological aspect. Um, I mean, we could talk forever, but I think number one is fear being uh, from the parents being transferred onto the children is huge. Um, I just feel that for a parent to truly learn how to look at their own child. They truly have to look at them themselves first and look at how they were raised and how, what they're bringing to their children at that time and if it's all good or if they need to look at it from a different perspective.
2: I'd like to chime in. I've watched you work. Um, uh, Mariana is just one of these perfect people for, for our, our ship of crazy people. Just the coolest person in the world. We hang out. She uh, got me a 72 Corvette. I'm ever in her debt. Um, We hang out. We talk about uh, everybody behind their back. We just have a great time together. But I've watched her work with children. And I work with grown-ups and adults. And I understand brain architecture and neuroplasticity. Children are very different. Because they don't have set and etched-in models of how the world should work. And there's a whole new challenge that you deal with with children. You've done uh, just great things with, with my children. Uh, they hang out with Mariana and giving me insight into that. And it made me right away think when you were talking about parental uh, influences that aren't always that great. When, um, when Drona came in, he's my, my six-year-old now. He was born massonomic, which he was born fully developed. So he was born in, in, in December, and in January, during the Super Bowl, he could crawl to his mother and pull the booby out and drink from the booby. He started walking at a very, very, very early age and doing all kinds of weird things, talked late, but just extremely advanced cognitive function. Um, but he had seizures. Remember, he used to have seizures, mm-hmm. then they stopped because he was just downloading and processing far too much information too early for an immature brain. Then his little brother comes along, who's different, he has um, ACC, Agenus of the Corpus Colostrum, and so he processes vibration and all these other kind of stuff, but he has trouble with motor function. And you had such a way of just observing them that was separate from parental concerns, parental fears, parental judgments, all that, and I've had events with this second set of children that I have. These are my, my, my new set of kids. And I think when I was younger, I didn't have, as as a first-time parent in my 20s and early 30s, I just treated my kids like they were my buddies. They were just little buddies, right? Mm-hmm. So I had no boundaries with them, nothing. With the new set of kids, maybe it's because I'm older and tired, but... I want them to just follow rules. But I know better. So you've helped us with that. I also have watched the end result of parental psychosis on adults. The things we do to each other unknowingly. Can you talk about that?
1: What do you mean? Explain that.
2: Just that hyper-competitiveness. Oh. That desire to compare your kids to other the best school syndrome. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well I feel that this is a a perpetuated problem that's been going on for decades that and it's been building and it is definitely impacted um, through one is the communication, internet, and the speed, sure, I'd take a water, the the speed at which the information can travel. Mm-hmm. I think the other uh, influence in terms of this area or which area you live in is money. Mm-hmm. I mean, money uh, causes a lot of competition because there is money to pay for kids, so... The ch- the parent sees that if they do more, they will have a better child at whatever they want to see their child be better at.
2: Do they really think that? Do you think that's what? Are they just competing for the hell of the competition? I see it like this, Mary. I watch people, and I have you know neighbors who are just your lower blue collar people, and they send their kids off to the public school, and they don't think much about it. And I look at the kids play, and emotionally, they're fine. Then I have other people in our social circle who can afford the Waldorf schools and all these other and all of their children are dysfunctional. They are socially dysfunctional. They are overly concerned about brand labels and social status. And they tend not to get along with other people. I mean, am I wrong with that observation?
1: Uh no, actually, <laughs> I'd have to say it's the well it's the culture i mean the culture is from day one the child is used to being dressed in nike shoes top and bottom and they get to school and their peers on the first day are dressed that way they are dressed that way and they're talking about it and it's because their parents are talking about what they're buying what they're wearing Mm. and uh it's just constantly perpetuated.
2: But why would you say that these schools that are promoted as being the best things for kids have never proved to be that? You know, there's a school, what's that school in Santa Monica Run Wilshire that has five teachers or six teachers for every student? Yeah. I think the tuition is a couple of hundred thousand a year. And you know, they have an interesting record. That school has produced more murders per school population, any school in the country, do you know that?
1: <laughs> no. Per
2: capita, that little school, you know the one on the corner, I forget the name of it. And I've had a few clients that actually went to that school and they told me it was it was a very bizarre experience and it's considered one of the most prestigious schools, at least in this area. And they have, what, five or six teachers per student, I forget the name of it, but many of them have gone off to be serial killers, mass murders, all sorts of weird things. None of them went on to be anything that you would be socially proud of. And it cost over almost a couple hundred thousand a year to go to this school. Talk to me more about that.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, where do we begin? That's a, di- that's a whole different world.
2: So when you but work with the, that's what I'm saying. You work with the development yeah. of the people, Mary So all, what we want to get a message out there in this whole opt out thing is for people to pump the brakes on that. Yeah. Just pump the brakes on all that. Who do your kids need to compete with? Who do kids really need to compete Correct.
1: with? Correct. I mean, nobody. Can you
2: explain it from a developmental point of view?
1: Oh, from a developmental point well, of
2: view. Who is it that they need to compete with? A
1: child does not need <laughs> to compete with anybody. When is that
2: beneficial? A
1: child, it's not benefi- Well, is comp? Well, I can't say competition is not beneficial, but I'd have to say from a child's perspective... No. Competition? No.
2: What I mean... So now you're saying that competing and um, offering graph and payment to the uh, headmaster of the local foo-foo school probably isn't in the best kids in your child's best interest.
1: Probably not.
2: Okay. Okay. Should kindergartners be taking the MCAT or SATs? No. Okay. I mean, at what age should they be reading the Magna Carta? <laughs> what would you say?
1: Z, come on, you know what we need. Well, I just our want to hear, needs, our
2: audience needs to hear this from a professional. Okay. I'm just Z. Our I'm parents, just a random dude. okay,
1: our pa- the, the kids, what do they need? A safe environment.
2: What they, does that mean? Is that security? Is that a, a,
1: no, it's what, an governmental level where security. Somebody what do we looks about? in their eyes mm-hmm. every day. And talks to them and nurtures them and tells them that they care about them.
2: Now, what if the, what if the face is Botox? Do today, the kids pick up today, anything? Today,
1: that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I encourage my parents to spend five quiet minutes a day with their child.
2: That, that's a tremendous amount of time.
1: My working parents to help their child. And I'm talking about helping their eye contact, but the have no we live idea what this, I'm asking How them does to a talk? parent
2: expect you to spend five minutes with a kid in the day the world we live in? You know how many Twitter <laughs> Well grams then they live in the
1: wrong world.
2: But you wanna have kids, don't you, you gotta have kids, don't you?
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: you gotta have them, right? Come
1: on, come on, Z. Help me
2: out, Marianne. We're yeah. trying to let the people listen to this understand development on this most base level, the mistakes we've made. The, um, the, number the, the, one the the road is we've connecting.
1: taken connection mm. to your child
2: mm. what does that look like what does that mean connecting
1: uh, being aware of them and their emotions and their feelings and their state of being mm. having general care uh, now, and,
2: and, and can what's the best way to pick a nanny to do that
1: <laughs> number one is don't don't use nannies
2: <laughs> okay, that's hard.
1: I mean, we can go on. I can tell you the American family. i serious.
2: It sounds like, funny.
1: No, but like the kids, the children that I have, one of the biggest problems is the both parents are high-powered working parents, mm-hmm. and they leave the house or are unavailable starting at 7 a.m., and even though the child may get them from 6.30 to 7 or sleep in their bed at night, that's the interaction they get, mm-hmm. and it's usually very rushed.
2: And that's problematic, you're saying?
1: And then the child gets off to the nanny,
2: okay, uh-huh. runs
1: its day, and the parent comes home, 6.37 p.m., exhausted, kid exhausted, needing connection.
2: But does it not help that the child is now bilingual?
1: It does not help. Okay, just, because we just need to social, know, the people need to know. yeah. That is just filling the physical aspect of the child's need and the child's brain. Mm. The nanny, the w- parent being gone. A child needs a present parent.
2: So I'm trying to keep up with this. So you're telling me that the children need time with you. Is that what you're telling me?
1: Yes. Is
2: that what you're telling us? Yes. Hmm. That's problematic. <laughs> you know, what, what I really want to get at is for people to hear and understand the path we've gone that's so off Yeah. that something as simple as spending time with your kids yeah. is now an extraordinary act. And then you wonder why so many people are labeled with various types of dysfunctions that hinder them from th- being able to take care of themselves.
1: But I think the parents themselves are so detached from that that they don't even understand how to spend time.
2: That's right. Yeah, that's what I want okay, to Okay,
1: and I... And then
2: what you end up seeing is the end result of that. Is that right?
1: And it's passed on to the children, yes. Yeah, that's
2: what I want you to talk about. So. Are you back, then? Have you finished your Whataburger, or whatever the hell you were eating?
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> I think this time issue is... Uh, it's like the problem is even worse than... I was thinking when right. we first started this conversation. Right. Is even- yeah. Yeah, no, I'm back. I'm back. I mean, this time issue is, uh, <laughs> it's like the problem is even worse than I was thinking when we first started this conversation. Because everything we talked about at the beginning requires at least some engagement with the kid. You know, it's almost like if you're going to mess up your kid, and stress them out and make them feel inadequate, which in a sense is the Asian parenting model, at least you got to be there to do it. So you can check off a box for the tiger mom. At least they're spending time uh, so that their kid feels like they have to work that much harder to get a 1600 or 2400, whatever it is now on the SAT. But yeah, you're right. I mean, this time issue is a huge deal and it seems so obvious
1: But the child, I mean, we all know the developmental years, right? The younger years, zero to two, let's even say zero to two is huge. And those parents are going back to work already. Mm. And the child's self-perception and self-concept is being shaped during that whole time. So, I mean, my personal experience is that I planned on going back to work and hiring a nanny. And I was in private practice. And when I had my own daughter, I could not. I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that I thought that I was going to let somebody else take care of my daughter. I can't believe I even envisioned it. Mm. And I, I stayed home. And I did what I had to do and worked here and there.
2: But... But then that had more to do with, we look at the different temperaments, and that's where it gets into when I work with people. I look at their temperaments. You have a naturally warmer temperament. You are that person that I could see you checking yourself, so I can't leave right. tests here or there. So, but mo- what about people that simply just lack, they have that social void?
1: Right. Well, the social void and lack of connection is that the parents then come together to form what they consider a family, right? And they're in their formative years, they're beginning their careers, they've got going, they bring a child into the world, and their idea of forming a child and being a family is already very disconnected. It's Mm. what are we going to achieve together? What are we going to do together? How are we going to look together? How many pictures are we going to take professionally together and um, you know all that all of this is how the child's self-concept and self-perception is you
0: know is, is shaped
2: or not shaped it sounds like shaped. it's not being shaped at all
0: No Well see don't you know in New York that having three kids is a status symbol because if you live in Manhattan and you send three kids to private school <laughs> and you have to get nannies. It shows that you make a lot of money, so you really stand out. And then, then you send out those cool Christmas cards and talk about all the great trips that you took together. You write that on the back. It just sounds horrible. Yeah, no, I mean, your kids are accessories and forms of validation.
1: Right, however, the parents <laughs> then start to place more stress on themselves because they're trying to be good citizens and they know they have to do something to uh, foster that in their child or nurture that type so then they enroll or join organizations or try to do good things together group activities or uh charity however which may even worse right well the children still aren't getting time together the children are still It's like the idea of spending time is doing activities together or...
2: uh, From a clinical point of view, what is quality time? Can you tell folks, what is quality time with your kids? Quality time... What does that mean? We've heard this term. What does that mean?
1: I would have to say my definition is with quality time with another individual is where you two are calm, if that's what you choose to be, and connected.
2: So you're going to have to explain that for people nowadays. But Mary, we live in another world. What does that mean with a kid? You got, you got this kid, they're an accessory. You, 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 you're you, not
1: relying on anything external to, uh, to entertain you. So is there an
2: app for that?
1: Not yet.
2: Okay. <laughs> so you see where I'm going with this man? Yeah. I really want, like, Mariana is so earthy. She's I so am. good with kids. But it's like we see another world sometimes where we're out there and the people are so removed, right, from anything. And then I get people who have never really had parenting as adults. I get the young adults who, for the first time in their life, has the sense of duty, responsibility, uh, understanding the commerce of kindness or keeping your word, things that they were never taught that seem to be organic in my generation or era that are useful tools that they're just now understanding they need to acquire now. There was a, you know, I'm going to kind of talk about where we are as a world and why people like you are so essential. Um, They just had a bunch of problems in Texas with um, the infrastructure collapsing. And I always use these kind of examples as forensic uh, breakdowns of where we're at as a society. So my wife receives pictures of friends who have homes worth in excess of $10 million. The toilets are spraying out waste like a fountain and the roofs are literally spraying water out of the roof like you're in a, a Venetian shower somewhere. The whole thing is collapsed and no one knows what to do. People were burning wood in their house, breathing toxic fumes. They didn't have any basic deductive reasoning skills, though they were, had social status within their status group, whatever the hell that is. But when the infrastructure collapsed, they had no working ability to function, on any level. So these were young adults. What does it say about the children of those young adults? Who are these people raising kids? Then you get these people, and you have to then help them figure out how to stay out of the rain. That's
1: very true about what I do. A lot of it, um,
2: well. How do you size that up? When you go in there and you see this kid, I've watched some of the kids, all your kids look relatively like regular kids to me. I mean, you know, I I haven't really, I don't see it the way you see it. I just, yeah, look, I grew up in a family, half the people joined the circus. So Whatever I see is cool. You know what I mean? just well, They'll figure it out. As long as they figure it out. But I've seen you work with these children in such a masterful way. And as I'm talking to you here now, I, I see it from a different perspective is that you're seeing these children raw as they are presented to you. I'm seeing it in an existential way. I see the people in Texas who are dying because the government didn't show up at their house, right? They have no deductive reason, but they live in homes that are worth tens of millions of dollars. How does that happen? And then there are a number of children critically affected by this, because the parents don't have the ability to function outside of a very limited social scope, so to say. That's deductive reasoning, and those are the things you want to teach people. Those are the tools you want to give children, right, early on, mm-hmm. that are the foundations of social function, right, of right. individual function. Right. So what what are good tools we can all take from child development and apply that to our development as people? And, again, even more so as parents or grandparents, Right.
1: Um, well, what are good tools? Number one, as parents, I talked about spending time with your children. Okay, I mean, that's out of the picture.
2: So what no. else can we do other than spend time with our kids? <laughs>
1: um, well,
2: Get them a puppy. Should we get them a puppy?
1: I mean, what else? I mean, what do you mean, what can you do? You can do a million things. I mean, you have to do everything. You have to,
0: <laughs> you have
1: to be there for them. You need to teach them, give them space. You need to. I mean, there's so much you need to do.
2: So, but look, there's only so many hours a day. If I'm spending, I need. I, I'm in work all day, and then I got to be on Facebook and Twittergram and Instabook uh, in, all the time. What do these little munchkins you, need?
1: Should we hire you more? They need a sense of self. They need a sense of who they are as an individual. And in order to develop that, they need to explore, but they need to explore feeling good.
2: There's one word you keep using, need. This is where children are different than adults. Children actually have needs. Adults, I do not believe, have a lot of needs. They have a lot of wants. Yes. Children actually have a lot of needs. Would yes. Would you agree?
1: Yes. Children need to move. They need to be touched. And these are simple things that parents, I don't believe, really do to their children. Whoa.
2: That's, that's a hell of an indictment. I feel offended. You should have did a trigger warning before that.
1: <laughs> they, need, <laughs> they need to move, be touched. They need freedom. They need to be loved. They need uh, to, to know that whatever mistake they make, that it can be figured out.
2: There shouldn't be harsh repercussions to every mistake they make. No. Okay. Um, you're really pushing that envelope, man, when you talk about parenting, if people could talk to you before they have kids, they probably wouldn't have kids. You're saying they need time. What else did she say? Can they need love? What was that else? Um, touch. Yep, and movement. She said something else. It was really scary.
1: Smiles. Yeah,
2: yeah. they need com- safety. Eye or contact. Yeah, eye, con- eye contact. Who has time for? Good God, Mariana, that's a <laughs> lot, That's a hell of a list of things. Nutrition.
1: I they- mean.
2: Well, we can feed them when we can take them to the best health food store. That's not a problem. Um, it, it sounds I'm making you know this comedic thing just so we can warm up and really see where we're at. The number of people I know that do not spend time with their children, they have very low frequency of interaction. They commission out basic parental. Would you call it duties? What 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 would you call that S- part of being a parent? They commission out the skills. skills? Um, and, and, and then the end result is this kid that has this maybe not even a birth defect in the sense that they have asymmetrical development. They're not developing in step with the society they need to be able to live in. I want to say the, the right way. Because what are the things that we talked earlier, when I think about being a parent, and with my four children, what do I want for them? That they're able to take care of themselves in my absence without me hovering over them. I don't want to lay up all night wondering if they can get from point A to point B or make good decisions. That they can find a reasonable means or career of taking care of themselves. What would you say are, are the basic milestones of good parenting? that a, a person can strive for?
1: Milestones.
2: So you're, you're. they're not constantly depending on you to fix yeah, yeah. the things um, they haven't done.
1: Milestones for good parenting. Uh, I mean, there's. it's hard to classify. Yeah, just give I me I
2: some vague ideas. Uh, you're way out there with the, giving them time and all this kind oh, of stuff. So,
1: this. well, present. You have to be present. <laughs> you have to be organized.
2: Can you describe what being present is? See, people don't know that.
1: Okay. Yeah. So when you're yeah, when you're with your child, you have to be paying attention to them. You have to be looking at them. Mm-hmm. You have to have your body towards them. You have to be down at their level. You should not be looking at your phone. You shouldn't be doing something else. So well, to be present—that's
2: really hard. That's a whole generational thing. Isn't that interesting? We grew up in a time yeah. where that smart device is an extension of ourselves. To the point where we don't even know ourselves without it, but it's also affecting our ability to give the children the tools they need to develop. Wow, scary. Keep going.
1: And uh, <laughs> so, you need uh, energy. You need to take care of yourself. Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, I know. You need Coffee. Et- the parents need to take care of themselves and get proper s- sleep and um, activity so that they can be there for their kids, of course. So you're uh, saying
2: one of the milestones of good parenting is you have to be fit?
1: I wouldn't say fit, although I believe that fit living is healthy living. So I think that you are a better parent if you are fit because you are doing more things.
2: So going on an outing to Fat Burger. Is not it's being a okay. fit okay. parent. I just wanted to make. I just. I'm just trying to be clear. I just wanted to be real active
1: clear. Okay. And doing
2: it with okay. your child. Okay. Uh, discipline. This, so. Spare the child. rod, spoil the child. Is that? Are you for <laughs> that or against that? Against. Beatings. Against. Okay. Corporal punishment. Against. Okay. So then, how do we discipline our child? Threats.
1: Holding them accountable. And, that and then comes what? back to your well I believe there has to be natural consequences for behavior such as I believe boundaries but what I are the believe that the person has to develop their own internal barometer on right and wrong in, and impulse less time control.
2: on the on the tablet well, is that a good punishment hello no <laughs> hey, the tablet
1: that. should be gone it <laughs> okay. shouldn't okay. be there in the first place okay
2: you're going to get your kids to murder you then so, help us out here. Serious discipline. Help us out on discipline.
1: Discipline. Okay. Because um, ha- most
2: parents don't have discipline; they've never been disciplined.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so you're you have saying, to as a
2: developmental specialist, that children need discipline?
1: Absolutely, children need boundaries. That
2: even my perfect angel-like kids that
1: <laughs> yes
2: that are just the second coming of Christ Absolutely. they actually need discipline.
1: They need it. Hmm. They need boundaries. They need discipline. Okay. And uh, so I th- I find it in the form of like checklists, keeping a track, keeping track of their behavior. I mean, I know that's something really benign, but it's simple.
2: What are behavioral things that you would want to keep track of with children? And what what, what do children do that you would say, okay, uh, little precious one, that's a no no?
1: Well, that has to punished. do with the between the parent and the child. Number one, but.
2: Uh, what like what behavioral characteristics would you say are no Okay, uh, beating down the sibling. Uh, I got beat down by my sisters all the time.
1: Yeah,
2: me too. So <laughs> I turned out fine. So
1: are you sure? No, just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, uh, no, like violence is one. Um, it, it really depends on the parent what the no What are. The, are. The, I mean, that so, depends so, I on how said, people Giving
2: people That's, some measure of the extents of sociopathy. Because kids tend to be sociopathic, right? They're just naturally selfish. Right. They want to kill their sibling at first, then they kind of start liking their to, sibling. How do you get that? What, what are the good tools parents can have that are disciplined? And let's say in an intact home where you have both parents or partners there, um, should they be on the same track when it comes to uh, disciplining a child, or should the kid be able to manipulate one against the other?
1: Well, absolutely not.
2: Oh, I just—we just, we just uh, need to know. These are questions people yeah, are asking. Yeah,
1: absolutely not. Uh, no, think of a child; they come to us for the boundaries. I believe that when we set the boundary for a child and tell them that that is a no-no, that we are helping helping them to create their internal boundary for
2: And So the, the other parent shouldn't come and upsurp what the other parent has told the kid. Is that Imagine what you're saying? Imagine
1: a kid who's trying to learn its boundary, and it can go one way and get told yes, and the other way get told no. What's that child So learning? you're
2: saying the parents, the parental figures in the household, should be in harmony and sync with one another.
1: Absolutely. Hmm.
2: Strange concept. Okay. Any, strange is there concept. anything else? <laughs> this is all new to us.
1: <laughs> no.
2: Give us some more milestones for for just um, so that, that, that it makes your job easier.
1: Uh, yeah. Structure. I think give me kids an idea. What does that have mean? Some structure? Type of structure. What does that meaning mean? That,
2: that mean routines. That means routines. What? Yes,
1: routines. Children can learn routines and behaviors, which can then create discipline. So I believe learning the routines in the home. Just for self-care is number one. Okay. And beginning to be able to dress yourself, brush your teeth, bathe yourself. Then you move on to helping to be a productive member of the home.
2: Give me an example of what that is. People don't know what that means.
1: Helping uh, to keep the home clean on a weekly basis. Chores. Chores, Doing chores. Yes. Um, Unloading the dishwasher.
2: Okay, so then um, should they supervise the nanny? (laughs) <laughs> or the housekeeper? I'm just. <laughs> I these are the times. We and...
1: X'd out the nanny. It <laughs> won't get done.
2: Okay, okay. So, because you might want to put them in a supervisory role as soon as possible.
1: Exactly. That's true. You could. Okay. You really could. You could graduate them
2: quick. <laughs> 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 We're laughing, but Mariana, you you would be surprised at the problems that we see in adults that started in early childhood you're saying things that people will brush over. People really don't know what discipline means. I'll give you an example. Um, when, when, when my little guy was coming of age, he was very uh, personalized, you know, drawn So the way I was disciplined was very harsh. As you know, we were come from a different era. We basically understood the uh, corporal punishment for kids was just the norm. Every other adult could basically kick your ass at will if you stepped out of line and you feared your mom. I, oh, I feared my mom. Um, good God, I feared her more than a bully at school or anybody. And um, I never did that with my older children. I, they, they were never punished harshly or anything. Then I had a six-year-old, and he literally dives on my back, punches me in the head, does everything. So it's like having a, a, a little... Terrorist around, and I remember one time just, just, just pushing away, just stay away, stay away. And one of my students, Master Pauline, called me and she said, "You're, you're kind of hard on your kid." I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "Yeah, he came up to you and you just basically uh, swept him and did a judo throw on him." I said, well, "He well, he loves that." He said, "No, but he had this look on his face. He wanted your attention. He wanted your attention. And the way you cut him off." Was what we're talking about and I thought about it I said wow all he wanted was my attention even though I was busy and it was inappropriate he's a baby and he's learning communication skills and all he sees is me in his world I'm his world I'm his world his mom's his world everything else is noise so developing new ways and as you said boundaries When is an appropriate time to query or ask questions? Social etiquette. All things we have to teach them. But if we're impatient or go back to a way, we just discard that as a disruption. He was disrupting me. And I didn't look until I was called on it by uh, uh, Master P. She called me on that, and I straightened that out. And these are things that parents either don't learn or they forget. And I think with my older children, the freshness of parental punishment was still near my head. And I swore I'd never treat my kids that way, the way that I was treated. And um, it didn't adversely affect their development not being harshly punished. With the little kids, it is a thing about time, uh, being very caught up in the world has changed so much. We are so busy with non-business you know, you talk to people, and they're just texting, and they're saying, "I'm handling business." I say that with John and others, They they they're, they're on their phone. I say, "I need your attention." They can't put the phone down. They can't. Oh, I'm taking care. Of. No, you're. There's nothing going on. But in our world, nothing is something. But with children, who are part, and still part of the integrity of the evolutionary stream, as you said, they need time. Face time, affection time with you to learn and grow. They need discipline to develop the tools of social interaction and survival. You mentioned nourishment of the soul, of the body, of the intellect, which all requires time that cannot be bought, bartered off, traded off, or conscripted. They need you. And it makes me think of, again, as Khalil Draban speaks of children, that, in short, he says that you are like an archer, and the child is an arrow. And as you send that arrow into the infinite, if that arrow misses its mark, don't blame the arrow but the archer that wasn't steady with their bow. So as parents, we really can learn from that, being a steady Archer, as we move our children to the infinite, but to be that archer, it requires a certain amount of personal discipline and personal clarity, keeping your eyes on the target. And with the smart devices, with all the distractions, um, I shouldn't just say that one because that's just part of a problem. But what about like what Vin was saying? This idea that everybody has children as status symbols, or You're competing with other people for labels and titles. And it's something that, as I'm sitting here with you, I think about what I hear all the time. People say, oh, my child goes to the best school, and they see the best doctor, and they have the best shoe store, and they went to the best playground, and they go to the, you hear this thing, the best. Who are we saying that for? And then by the time you get the kids, it's like you're, you're You're like a mechanic with a stack of scrap iron in front of you, trying to turn it into something we can understand, right?
1: Right. The parents are passing on a lot of what was given to them, a lot of disconnect and image, right?
2: So you have to unravel all that before you can even deal with the child's issue. How about once you start dealing with the child? I know you get on our case, you always tell us what we have to work on and things like that, which is great, like the little things you give. Every time you give us a hint or a cue, we see development. How do you come up with that when you watch a child or when a parent brings you a child? And what are the things that you look for? Like when I work with adults, I have my own etiology. I do, as you know, you do sessions with me. I can tell by the way a person walks, the questions they pose, how they present themselves, pretty much what's going on. When you look at that child that walks to you, how do you distinguish or separate the child from its its parental uh, culture?
1: Well, I think that any time a child comes to me, it's my first opportunity to interact with them and connect with them. And I think that from that moment, I have an opportunity and an ability to start Shaping that individual for the better and Even though I'm not their parent. I still can change them.
2: You say the better. What do you mean the better? What do you want for those children?
1: Whatever It may might not be known at that moment when I see that child if it if they are new to me because it takes a while to understand what is actually giving them trouble because they often don't understand how to express it. So, um, for the better means to decrease stress Mm. in their body. Mm. It means to make them feel more able and it means to get them putting out more of their body and their mind in order to produce Mm. for themselves.
2: that's a real clear picture, because when, when I think about that and I watch you work with kids, to hear that problem of stress, thinking of children, is awakening and saddening. Um, stress is one of the overwhelming diseases of our contemporary society. And childhood should be the most stress-free time of your life, right? And when you say that one of the things you have to do is help mitigate the stress in a child, it's, it's troubling to hear that.
1: I almost feel that I have to show them an alternate reality. Sometimes it's the only reality they know. And many times, children with physical disabilities that you may not see, but I see, because as humans, we're adaptable by nature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they feel very <clears throat> unsafe in their body. Mm. However, the parenting that they, <clears throat> that they have had is the type of parenting of, let's put you in more, let's do more, let's put the stress, get you to the highest level. However, no one has ever spoken to them about their body. They've never spoken to anyone about why they don't feel safe. and Mm. I am the first person who begins to explain it to them and to their parent Mm. however the parents have a choice they can choose to understand and learn and do something about it or they can choose to send their child to me
2: Merida right away what I take from hearing that and it it sends a a very solemn mist over me hearing that 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 we stress out our kids and I think about things that I went through in my childhood and I was protected from stress I realized that Um, my older siblings And even my parents, who are not that much older than me. My mom was 22 years older than me. And though she was a tough lady, I I listen to you, and I think about the kids I see you work with, and they're stressed out. Like We've figured out a way to transport the stresses we've introduced to our life, to fill our shopping cart of needs that's created stress, and it's overwhelming. Now we're putting it in the children's sharpening cards. And so we need more and more and more specialists to intervene in the general rearing of children in general, because they are so stressed out. I think about this online teaching now, this pandemic, and the kids are out of school for almost a year now. And it's very stressful. I mean, now they're sending crates of stuff to the house, and there's these kind of weird homework packages, and they're trying to trying to get the kids to sit and look at a damn screen. It's almost like I want to bring back Romper Room and, and Captain Kangaroo, if that's what... I think I learned a lot from those guys, <laughs> Mr. Green Jeans, and it was real laid back. You know, do you remember? You think back, it was very... Yeah. I'm getting stressed mm-hmm. out thinking about the kids being stressed out. All
1: right,
2: And that's what you're dealing with. You're fixing the ravages of stress that we've introduced to our children's lives. If I take nothing from this, it's something that I want to keep in my mind that I don't want to do to my kids what I've done to myself as an adult. Wow. You hear that, Vin?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think the point about stress is spot on. And I see it in my own family. Part of it is stress explicitly put upon the child. Part of it is just mimicking behavior from the parent. It's really weird, but I think it's part of a more general trend, Z, that we've talked about. It's almost like people don't know what they should be doing and when we don't have our own standards we just get swept up in this sea of insanity hearing you talk about the homeschooling and all the stress to get some six-year-old to sit in front of a screen and they're not going to learn anyway and even if they don't learn for a year like worst case let's say they, they learn nothing for a year so what They'll learn something other than the curriculum just by playing, by interacting. They'll they'll figure some stuff out. They're not going to have a year of blank space in their mind. And if they don't internalize the curriculum, who the hell cares? I mean, why are we making such a big deal out of it? And that's actually been my approach to work. I kind of think about the corporate world as well because the same phenomenon is there. It's just this need to constantly be doing something so that we can measure ourselves against something, even if it has no real meaning. Uh, but we ascribe meaning to the activity instead of the output. And we never look at the long-term consequences. And then the effects are just disastrous. I mean, the I guess the motivation, and Mariana, you can comment on this. The motivation seems to be like a short-term appeasement of our anxiety. So it's like some relief. Okay, I can do something I can scratch something off my list. I can feel a little bit better for a second. But we're not even paying attention to what the hell we're doing and what the outcome of that is. So that entire mindset, that's probably what I'm most interested in. When you work with families and you look at parents and how they're dealing with children, how do you get them in the right headspace? And what I mean by that is that if you think about the the way that we've evolved or where we are today – a lot of parents will say, okay, my kid needs to be able to read at this level. They need to be able to meet this standard. They need X number of activities. I've got to compare them to everyone else. I've got to make sure they're on track to get to the next level. And it's just this constant push, this constant progression, this constant measurement to the same standards that everyone else is using. If that's a default mindset, what is the alternative? Uh, so w- what would you recommend as the right mindset when you're working with children to recognize that things are more fluid, maybe different kids go in different directions, maybe some excel, but at different times, what is the headspace that we need to be in to treat our kids differently?
1: Well, I mean, number one, I'd have to say is not looking at production as a value, um, you know, and, and not looking at development as a linear as a linear fashion like you were talking about but about the headspace that we need to be in as parents is that we need to enjoy and develop the positive parts of our child and really uh, teach them that the the parts of our body that aren't as strong as the other parts of our body and brain are that we need to work towards balance and use discipline however we really need to celebrate our strengths and not not look at capitalize on our weaknesses as as parents looking at their children Because I feel that you talked about trying to relieve stress, you know, we get this stress that comes from the parent and they notice that their kid cannot tie their shoe and their kid is seven years old. And so therefore they start talking about it to people in front of their child. The child starts getting stressed out about it. Every day, let's say the parent comes to the kid, let's tie your shoe. Can you tie your shoe? talking about all different types of shoes everything just keeps adding on the kid for the outcome of tying his shoes Um, this is such a simple developmental example but this one thing can take a whole year and it's irrelevant whether the child can tie their shoe or not there are so many factors that go into tying a shoe however the parents put this intense amount of stress to fix that one thing and so when it's fixed it's checked off just like their list however what they don't realize is that they're not teaching their child to enjoy the, the uh the great things they do have and continue to bring everything up they're teaching the child to just check the boxes as well
0: so, if we continue in that vein for a second, you'd mentioned something earlier when we were talking before the podcast about how you work with some kids who've got developmental challenges. But those developmental challenges, on the one hand, usually come with strengths in other areas which people don't focus on. Can you talk about some of those strengths and some of the trade offs uh, that, that you see in working with different types of kids?
1: Yes. Uh... Most children with developmental challenges, if one area of their development is challenged, and I would have to say inherently, as the human has its adaptable nature from development, they begin to, what I believe, overly develop the parts of their brain that are strengths. And therefore, when children come to me, I often see a child who may not be great in reading directions. However, uh, if you ask them to do 20 math problems in 10 seconds, they can do it for you that quickly. And that may be because the, that part of their brain that can sequence information quickly and the speed of processing can fire very rapidly. However, you give them another type of test that has questions and their brain is not able to process that information. Um, There's also uh, lots of they say attention, 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 attention. Um, Well attention has to do with many aspects of cognitive function and motivation has a huge element of attention so children who have problems with attention tend to be actually much higher much 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 higher performing in most areas when that area is fascinating or motivating to them and this is usually at very advanced performance levels. I don't, you know, it doesn't mean that the child will not struggle in a couple other areas. However, this child is very advanced in their thinking and however what we do is look at them in a certain type of box and const- and the parents may be telling the child they need to focus more. They need to do this. And the child is getting very negative feedback over and over and over. And it becomes very frustrating. And the child has a horrible self-concept. Z, do you have
2: any thoughts on that? Well, no, I'm, I'm just... <clears throat> I think uh, what we can gain from this, and I'm listening... The, the stress thing really got me. Because I started <laughs> thinking about and reflecting upon the bridge between the adult mind, and the child mind, and I can see every day in the people I work with how stress has devastated their life, physically, emotionally, psychologically, uh, spiritually, on every level, this endless pursuit as we talk about the endless pursuit. And it, it just came to my mind as, as I think about watching Mariana work with kids, and and why stress out your children? Why would we do that? What? How sick have we gotten that we can't even see that, that it's a contagion. It's a pathogen. My God, you have such a short period of time to be a child. Just leave them alone. And their education will come. You know, we have, right now we have this pandemic going on. We have this homeschooling and the the babies, he's got an iPad and the other kid, the, the six year old has a laptop, the three year old has an iPad. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, okay, there's a limit. This isn't, they're not getting anything out of this anymore. Other than we're getting a lot out of it, feeling like we've checked off our list. Okay, they go to school every day. Um, my six year old learns more in the garage with me and building projects than he does at school. And then Sasa gets more out of me just hanging out. I let him drive the car, and then he learned to drive his bumper car because we were playing with it and playing with other children and, and navigating and wrestling and, and he seems to get more out of that than anything and that, isn't that how we evolved as a species? Isn't that how we grew as human beings? And somewhere we lost that and so now it's all these stress markers, right? And it's really for other people, it's not even for our children it's for the neighbor and for your perception of social status or class designation Maybe, Mariana, I, I just think listening to you and watching and doing this, and my thought comes to me is how about figuring out a way to leave the kids alone. And the basic tenets of a good parent is if you were to deconstruct it, at the end of your days, can your child take care of themselves without you? That's all you really want to know, right? And so playing and being and experiencing life and ups and downs and overcoming and, and and making friends and dealing with different types of personalities and learning how to bounce back from that without disappointment dictating your whole life or without there being some harsh judgment of everything you do and being measured against some unseen group. Eliminate all that crap. Get back to basics, right?
1: Right, absolutely.
2: I mean look at Forrest Gump. He turned out okay.
1: <laughs> Wasn't he time. a fictional character
2: based on a real dude?
1: Yeah. No, but I mean yeah, time and connection and I really believe parents we're not even we're not even seeing what we're laying. We're laying a huge layer of stress right out of the gate on our children. And it's unseen, but it's really scary.
2: <laughs> so, can you give us just uh, two or three top things you would like parents to do with their kids? Um, not shutting your business down, but before you have to go, before they have to go see you. Oh, okay. What can they do? Yeah.
1: Well, number one is that you need to talk to your child every day, looking in their eyes, and ask them about themselves, and you need to listen to them.
2: Okay, that's one. Number one. Talk talk to little brats. Yeah. Number
1: two. Number two is you need to play with your child. You need to play, look in their eyes, and just play with them.
2: Play with your kids. Okay, three.
1: Number three is you need to leave them alone to handle difficulties on their own.
2: Wow, you can apply that to adults in your life. That's great. Talk to them, play with them, then leave them alone. Yeah. That's a a formula for a successful marriage. (laughs) Good God, Mariana, you're a genius. We're glad to have you here. What do you you have to say, Vin? Close us out.
0: I don't have too much to add. I think the discussion we've had makes a lot of sense. It it kind of depresses me because I just think about where we are as a society. But maybe some good will come out of this. Uh, The points about spending time about structure, discipline, giving kids the freedom to explore, to grow at their own rate. All of that seems pretty obvious, but we need to embrace it. We've stepped away from that. And then this point about stressing our kids out, just don't fucking stress your kids out. (laughs) Leave the anxiety behind. Fix your own anxiety first. If you're not anxious, you won't have anything to pass on to your kids If you are anxious, you're not going to know how to stop that cascade. So work on that. That's probably the best thing that we can do. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.